What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. When they go into that control room with all the screens, I actually yelled out loud, God <laughs> damn it, Ken Adam, you motherfucker. <laughs> That's awesome. Welcome to Gold Dive Into Death, a James Bond podcast. I am your double host, Jonathan Watkins. I am a writer for All Things Under the Cinema Sins brand name and a co-host of the Behind the Sins podcast. Joining me each and every week for this endeavor, he is the co-founder of Cinema Sins, co-host of the weekly podcast, Recotopia. He's also one of my good friends. He's Mr. Chris Atkinson. Hello. How's it going? I think we're going to have a pretty fun fun discussion about uh, James Bond going to space, uh, yes. I think is, the, is what most people considered uh, most people know this movie uh to be mm-hmm. uh and i have thoughts on that and uh the movie we are talking about this week of course is 1979's Moonraker. so yeah are you you doing pretty good this week you ready to talk about some moon raking i am let's do our first segment where we kind of go behind the scenes and we call this eon flux this is a journey i'm gonna make a movie we have to go back kate wow how did you know all that stuff i did my research i don't understand any of this what the fuck is going on we are going to scour through the history of eon productions give you all the highs and lows that went into the makings of these films it was really fun reading like uh like people talking about this movie for some reason Mm. like i think this is like the most fun i've had like actually uh, like reading about the movie like the the making of the movie itself yeah uh, so this movie was released, uh, June 26th, 1979 in the UK, three days later, uh, the 29th in the U S it's the 11th film in the, uh, the Eon productions, the official franchise, as we like to call it, since we are, we are talking about the couple other weird movies that are not in that throughout this podcast. Uh, but on this episode, we were talking about Moonraker. So we've got, uh, some, uh, people back. We know Lewis Gilbert, uh, he's back in the directing chair. This will be his final time. As a director, he yeah, this isn't his last movie. He does do a few movies after this, but it's his last, uh, it's his last James Bond movie. Uh, I didn't find a ton about if they really talked to other people, but I did find it funny that Spielberg once again, after he made Close Encounters, he's like, "All right, can I do a Bond movie now?" And Broccoli mm. was like, "Nope, I don't, <laughs> I don't know much about it. I don't know if he just felt like he wouldn't be able to control it as well. I don't, I don't know what it is because Spielberg wasn't Spielberg yet. I mean, he, I guess he was kind of he becoming was that. at this point for sure. Yeah, that's like, true because Cl- yeah. Jaws and Close Encounters, he was. So yeah, so maybe, but I just I don't know. That's just funny to me. Well, and it's even funnier that the Close Encounters of the Third Kind five note thing happens in this, and yeah, they. Yeah. They uh, broccoli like asked Spielberg for permission to do the close encounters thing for the keypad that they use to get into that room. <laughs> and Spielberg in turn said, can I use some of the bond theme? And broccoli said, well, there's a f- quite a few more notes in the bond theme. Apparently he was just joking. Uh, but, but uh, I don't know where that actually went. I think Spielberg wanted it for the Goonies, even though the Goonies didn't come out for another six yeah. years or something. But uh, but uh, I don't know what happened to if he got if he ended up getting that Bond theme in anything. But uh, I think that's funny that that Spielberg is 
wanting to direct a bond and broccoli's like you know and somewhere in this all of this he's like can i have your close encounters thing too <laughs> even though i have no interest in you directing anything for me yeah yeah <laughs> can i can i can i steal your music that'd right. be great uh that's that's so funny um and uh, I just, I, yeah, that's just so funny though. I, I wish it was like a recurring thing too. I wish like every Bond film probably the next ten years was like Spielberg tried to do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's like no, you got to go do a couple more Indiana Jones movies or something. Right. I don't think you're ready. Um, I want, I, I do wonder though. I mean, I guess we've gotten bigger directors in some ways that have done like Sam Mendes. I would say is mm-hmm. a, I don't know if he's really distinctive. I guess he does have some things about him, but like. I don't know. Like, I just can't imagine we're ever going to get like a Tarantino or a Scorsese. I mean, we're never going to get somebody like that to do a Bond film. No, I don't think. I probably could be not. At least as long as the Broccoli's are around. So uh, we mentioned this last week, but the credits for Spy Who Loved Me said James Bond will return and for your eyes only. So that was supposed to be the film that they were doing. So in 77, this other little movie came out, also, you know, along with the Spy Who Loved Me. It's called Star Wars. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, science fiction all of a sudden was like, was huge, which is kind of funny to me because the older I get, the more I and the more sci-fi I watch, the more I realize like Star Wars is not really what I would call science fiction. I mean, it is in a sense, but it's but it's definitely more like it's more like a samurai movie, right? It's more yeah. it's like a space opera. It's, it's not like a, it's not coming up with like technology and things like yeah. that that we're that we can't use yet or whatever yeah. it's 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 a bunch it's yeah i, I know what you're, I know it's what you're not, getting it's not, and i don't and i i kind of hate to say stuff because i know the star wars fans take these things very seriously i don't mean that as a knock uh, and i've talked to a lot of star wars fans that also say i mean you you're a big star wars fan mm. and so uh, i don't mean it as a knock at all i just i just i don't know it's just kind of funny like i don't think and based on what they did in this movie that they thought was star wars i don't think very many people understood why people like star wars so. yeah 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 uh, you know, uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture, which also came out this year, which really feels more like a 2001 uh, mm-hmm. knockoff than it does a Star Wars. It sure does. What, if we ever do a Star Trek uh, podcast, well, you have a Star Trek podcast. Mm-hmm. What am I talking about? Uh, Captain's Pod. So ignore me. So anyways, um, that was supposed to be the next one. So then they decided they wanted to do something a little more science fiction, um, which... You know, we'll, like I said, we'll talk about that probably a little bit more specifically, like in the review, like what we thought about that direction. But that was the reasoning why they picked the title uh, uh, Moonraker. Uh, we will obviously discuss this when we talk about the book, but this, these are two very different animals, the book mm. and, the, and the movie. Some of the stuff is, it's more similar than I had been led to believe, but there's not mm. a lot of, there's not a ton of stuff. And there's definitely like, there's no space, like they don't go to space in the book and stuff like that. So, right. Uh, John Glenn, though, who was the second unit director on this, he's, of course, also directed Bond films. Um, he said he didn't recall Star Wars was even being mentioned, though. I read this in an interview. He said that he he understood the film was supposed to coincide with the American space shuttle launch, which actually yeah. ended up getting delayed. Uh, which is what they say in the uh, yeah. behind the scenes is that yeah, they were hoping yeah. to have that coincide and uh, and it just didn't work out. But I still think Broccoli has used Star Wars. So, I mean, I, I know that's still factored in, or at least the popularity yeah. of that factored in. Uh, film was primarily shot in France due to they were still dealing, which I thought this, I, I, don't, I don't know all the specifics, and I'm not going to get into them because I just, I don't, I'm, I don't really care. But there was a lot of, like, tax issues and stuff with England. Because, you know, we had that thing we were talking about last week. You know, John Barry doesn't do the score for um, Spy Who Loved Me. Right, it was Spy Who Loved Me, right? That he didn't do the score for because he didn't, um, he couldn't, he couldn't work in England or whatever at that mm-hmm. time. 
And so in this, this they couldn't even film anything in England. Uh, Pinewood Studios was only used for uh, special effects teams. Uh, yep. They would they shot some models and stuff like that. But the film was primarily shot in France. Uh, there were also locations shot in Italy, Brazil, Guatemala, and the U.S. Uh, and like I said, nothing official was shot in Pinewood. It was just the special effects. Yeah, and, and I'm not I'm, I'm not sure either. They touched on this in the behind the scenes mm-hmm. uh, that they didn't want to shoot it in uh, the UK because of uh, for because of tax reasons. And I'm yeah. assuming it just means it was going to be exorbitantly expensive. And considering that this movie was already budgeted for thirty two million dollars, I think they probably said, "All right, let's try to find a place that's cheaper to shoot." Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, that was definitely the, the what I took from it too. I'm just like I just I'm just it just seems like we keep coming across this whole taxes and stuff like that. Yeah. And I'm just like I what I mean, but I guess it's probably a lot of the same stuff that's going on now. It's like there for a long time, a lot of people shot in Canada because mm-hmm. you know a lot of T like X Files and all these TV shows and stuff were shooting in Canada and all the C a lot of the CW stuff and um you know because of and that was because of tax reasons and, and that thirty two some of that has kind of changed. That $32 million figure, when I heard that in the behind the scenes, I was like, huh, good God, man. That sounds like an incredible amount for 1979. That sounds like oh, yeah. like most expensive film ever uh, type of stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess it wasn't quite as bad as like Cleopatra. But right. I, and, I, and I got $34 million was where I read, but somewhere in that range. And then... Um, but it was double the cost of Spy Who Loved Me. So yeah, Spy Who and Loved was, Me was like fifteen million or seventeen million. It was apparently the from what Broccoli says in the behind the scenes, it's it was uh, it was the budget of the first six Bond movies, is what yeah. he said. Yeah, like combined. <laughs> so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> But for in in their defense, though, I mean, they did it did kind of pay off. It ended up being at that time it was the most financially successful uh, Bond film. It uh, two hundred a little over two hundred ten million uh, worldwide. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few uh, like a sad note. Uh, this was Bernard Lee's final outing as M. Yep. Uh, he was signed on to do for your eyes only. He got diagnosed with stomach cancer in nineteen eighty, and then he died in like January of eighty one, and they had not filmed. I think they were kind of waiting, hoping he could eventually maybe have enough energy to film something. And so uh, he died before they could even make that happen. Also, and he did die, but uh, Ken Adams, this would be the last, uh, this would be our last Ken Adams. Although, unfortunately, I think his, yeah, unfortunately, I mean, I do think his spirit is felt in a lot of the other ones after this. I mean, they people try to, you know, do what he did, but it's it's not the same. Yeah, and the Ken Adams, this, he goes out with a bang in this one. This is, yeah, he does some of his best work i, I think uh, I know, visually this movie is well i i have some comments about some of the space stuff but but for the most sure. part visually and and that has more that's not the visuals that's more to do with the action mm-hmm. uh uh but <laughs> it's just oh. you know finding out finding out what men in spacesuits in space fighting each other looks like is really yeah. funny <laughs> I had yeah for sure I had not um I had not seen this movie in forever and and yeah uh, but when they go into that control room with all the screens I actually yelled out loud God <laughs> damn it Ken Adam you motherfucker That's awesome. it was it was it was just amazing sights yeah, and then incredible. and and then he they go from that point they go from set to set that just all yeah. just amazing stuff oh. so. It, anyway it's unbelievable no he mm-hmm. i mean it's like i i didn't realize how much of a fan of him i was until we started doing these uh and mm-hmm. really getting kind of digging into him 
Uh, he he is he's unreal. Roger Moore's back, uh, of course. Uh, this is his you know, fourth outing, and it's good. It's good. Uh, you know, you when you go back to these other podcasts we've done, it feels like we talked about who was going to be the replacement for Connery, or yeah. who was like the first the first movie we're talking about all the different people who were considered. And then the second one, it's like, okay, it's Connery. Third one, it's yeah. Connery. And then the, from the fourth one all the <laughs> way to the end, we're talking about who's going to be the replacement for Connery. And now we're at a point where it's like, it's Roger Moore. Don't worry about it. Nobody else is it being is, considered. He wasn't, he did, his contract ended though with Spy Who Loved Me. So uh, mm-hmm. he it's, he's on a film by film. They didn't make him sign another big contract. I don't know if that was, I didn't, I didn't see much about why. I don't know if that had to do with his age, his interest in it, but they did actually let him do a film by film basis uh, for the next. He's, but he's in, I mean, he's in three more after this. No, yeah, he's in three more after this. It's well, is it is it two or is it two more? Oh, it is three. No, more. it's three. The, he uh, does seven. Yeah, he does seven. Yeah. So the yeah, I'm I'm wondering it's because I'm wondering if they even. Like usually the behind the scenes will tell you, hey, his contract's up, and he, yeah. they were considering other people. They did not do that with this. No, no, so. no. I don't think. I, I think he was always going to come back. It was just, I guess he just talked. He just didn't have to sign a multi-film. He didn't yeah. have to sign a multi-film contract. Um, I think. I think around a view to a kill is the first time where he's thinking about not coming back, and then that ends up being his final. Uh, Bond film, mm-hmm. but he has the most Bond films in the actual franchise. Uh, Connery did six. Now Connery technically mm-hmm. does do a seventh. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, depending on how you want to look at it, but um, yeah, he uh, Roger Moore's definitely at, to to this point, and he still is because Craig's done. So uh, Craig mm-hmm. was in five, right? Yeah, and then of course Dalton just does two, and then um, Brosnan does four. Um, which is still crazy to me. Brosnan only does four because that last Brosnan one was so fucking huge. It was mm-hmm. terrible. I mean, from what I remember, but it was a huge hit. But anyways, we'll talk about that in a while. Uh, but he's back. Uh, I already said uh, this would be his fourth film. Um, it's a contract by contract basis moving forward. Uh, one thing I mentioned about him um, was that uh, he had some health issues uh, while they were filming this, including like several kidney stones that he mm. had to have taken care of and I've had kidney stones and that's fucking awful. Like I can't even mm. imagine. Um, so, uh, Lois Childs, I'm going to go with Childs. I think uh, it's there's, right. There's no accent or anything. So I'm which go is weird that. on the behind the scenes. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to finally hear what I'm going to hear them <laughs> pronounce this name. And they were like, they, uh, it was a, it was a happen. The, she got cast in a happenstance by sitting next to Lewis Gilbert in an airplane. And I was like, okay, but they, they don't mention the name ever. Like it's just like, you know, they just that, show her funny. name. There's like this the woman. Screen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is kind of how she's treated in the movie. So, you know, yeah, no, yeah. she's, uh, she, man, these names just keep getting more and more unfortunate. We had agent triple X last week. Now we've got Holly Goodhead. Yep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I will say this, she does say in the behind the scenes. I'm not saying it's I'm not saying it's the right way to go or anything, but she says that she is very proud to have one of the most dirtiest names That's in awesome. Bond in Bond history. So anyways, Lewis Childs plays Holly Goodhead. Um I've actually like weirdly have seen her in a lot of stuff. Uh she's in Death on the Nile, the seventy eight version. She plays Lynette Ridgeway, which if mm. if you haven't seen the seventy eight version, you've only seen the Kenneth Branagh one, I'm sorry. You should go watch the seventy eight version. Mm-hmm. But that's the Gal Gadot. 
uh, a character. Yep. And if you have that, if you need that uh, template, but yeah, she's Lynette Ridgeway. She's the, uh, I think she's the woman that William Hurt sleeps with. That's not Holly Hunter, obviously. Uh, that Holly Hunter is upset that he sleeps with. Oh, in broadcast with, news. In broadcast news. Yes, correct. So and that, that and that actually might have been. That might have been like I don't know. She's I don't know what the first thing I saw her in. She's on. She was on a bunch of episodes of Dallas. She played Holly mm-hmm. Hartwood, which I watched. Uh, she's on one of my favorite Murder She Wrote episodes, The Return of Preston <laughs> Giles. Uh, she was in the CSI episode that Quentin Tarantino directed. Oh, nice. Ca- called Grave Danger. So she's just popped up in a bunch of things. And I, I forgot to even write down broadcast news. But uh, it was just kind of interesting because she does. I mean, she has a decent amount of credits. But I was just an actress. I did not know her name. But yet I've seen her in like seen 30 much, things. Yeah. yeah, it's just kind of crazy. Uh, she was actually originally, uh, to get to what you were talking about, the airplane thing. So she was originally offered the role to play Anya and the Spy Who Loved Me. Uh, she turned it down because at that time she was actually thinking about retiring from acting. And then just happenstance, like you said, she's on a flight and she's happened to be sitting next to Lewis Gilbert. And I don't know, he had just started prep on Moonraker and he just thought she would be great in the role. I didn't. I don't know if they talked about the fact that she was supposed to be in another one. I don't know. I don't know if he had already met her. Mm-hmm. I have no idea, but that's kind of how all that came to be. Because Gilbert did Spy Who Loved Me, right? Yeah. So I don't know. But I don't know that he ever met her. I have no idea mm-hmm. before before that. So uh, Jacqueline Smith was offered the role first, uh, oh. but like, but like a lot of like for, can't be in Bond movies. Uh, she had TV conflict. She was uh, contracted to Charlie's Angels, and they couldn't work around it. Man, Jacqueline Smith would have been amazing. She would have. Uh, which now brings us to uh, Hugo Drax. Yep. James uh, James Mason was supposed to play uh, Hugo Drax. Oh, that would have been great. It would have, and I, I will say, I love Michael Lonsdale's the actor. No, he Michael playing. Lonsdale's great, and I can't wait to talk about why he's great. He is like mm-hmm. the most laid back, evil asshole I've mm-hmm. ever seen in any it's fucking movie. It's kind of like he's channeling, like um, he's channeling um, Orson Welles, uh, kind yeah. of in this, in this, like like really calm Orson Welles. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like it almost he almost like looks bored. Like he's just mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know, I'm just going to create a master race. Yeah. You know. <laughs> no big whoop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I love but I do think James Mason would have been amazing. Like I kind of want to see mm-hmm. both versions of it. Uh but the reason was so so they they decided not to shoot in England. So that they're going to shoot mostly in France. There is a film treaty of some sort. Uh, that was like la- that had been signed in the '60s. It went through like into the '70s, and so they had to they had to actually I don't know if they had to have so many French actors, but basically they ended up having to cast that role mm-hmm. with a, a I guess a native Frenchman. So uh, Michael Lonsdale ends up being the actor. Uh, he's like he looks familiar to me, and I've seen movies he's been in, but I don't remember him from those movies. So I yeah, think I just here. remember him from Moonraker. I think I just. Yeah. But he's in Day of the Jackal, Chariots of Fire, Name of the Rose, Remains of the Day, and then he's in a ton of foreign. Yeah, cinema. I mean, Tons. I mean, they, they, no telling how many times we've seen him. He's got two hundred and forty-three credits. Oh, yeah. So yeah, and mo- I think most of that is is foreign films. But uh, yeah, but yeah, no, he's in a bunch of stuff. So uh, it, like we said, he's he's really fun. But yeah, James Mason was originally supposed to play Drax. Uh, it was because it was a French Anglo co-production. They had to hire a French actor due to a film treaty. Uh, that's also why uh, Kareen. Cherie, I'm going to go with. Uh, she was yeah. cast to play uh, Kareen Duffer. Clary, uh, that, maybe? Clary? It's a, Clary, I think maybe. It's, you got yeah. the accent over the E. Clary? Yeah. yeah something like that. I don't either. I didn't hear the name. 
<laughs> they just said that woman that played Corrine Duffer. Yeah, they probably um, said she, yeah. And that, that, I don't have much on her, uh, but she she just played, she plays Drax's personal pilot. I just was mentioning her because she also was cast because of that treaty. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, a couple other people that were possibly going to play Drax, Stuart Granger, uh, which is, he's just an old actor, uh, King Solomon's Mines and stuff like that from the 50s, uh, and Louis Jordan, who I don't really, who I didn't know before this, uh, they were considered for Drax, uh, but like a lot of people that are considered for roles, Jordan will show up in Octopussy. He plays, mm. uh, I think, the main villain in Octopussy. I, I I don't know. It's been so long since I've seen that. I get confused as to who's, I can't remember what Octopussy is. I know it's a woman, but like, I don't, I don't remember if she's a villain or a Bond girl. I don't even know. Uh, mm-hmm. Richard Kill's back. Uh, yep. I, I will, okay, so I'm going to say, and I could say this for the review, I guess. I think, like, I just remembered things. I, I, I don't know. I think I just talked myself into something, but I hadn't seen these movies in a while. Now, I will say, I don't like him as much in this because they make him more humorous. Uh, they make him good, eventually, basically. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, due to Lewis Gilbert getting a bunch of messages from kids yeah. Yeah. who said, can he that just be a good up, guy? by the way. That sounds Can he just up. be a good guy? I may, maybe. Kid, I don't know. Kids are writing letters to Lewis Gilbert. <laughs> it just they may weird. not be writing him directly. No, it, they may be coming into the eight, Bond office or whatever. Yeah, but like, uh, uh, it's funny. Like, I started to realize how much, like, how much Jaws adds time to this picture yes. more than what he did in the last one, where he seemed like a true henchman. Yeah. This this, this next one is like. Oh, he's available. Okay, let's make him a henchman in this one as well. And so, the, while the gondola thing is a spectacular stunt scene and everything, yes. it adds so much time, unnecessary time to this yeah. movie. Yeah, other than just to have them, and then they already have that scene in the alley. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just and that's that's a dumb scene that yeah. nothing nothing comes when well, they're in Rio <laughs> yeah, all and the there's carnival that. going through there and everything yeah it just he just functions to add more time to it and I understand popular character you want to bring him back yeah yeah it's like when they had Sheriff Pepper come back for like uh an ep, you know for after live and let die but then weirdly he was so popular they didn't bring him back in any other ones after <laughs> yeah, that exactly. so I don't know but Jaws yeah I understand I understand why he was popular I understand that but I my too. god man like I'm sitting there going that whole gondola scene. I'm sitting there just going, they should be on to the next thing already. This is just a lot of like, yeah, he's not, he's not well used in this and he's not as interesting, but Richard kill is just so like likable, I guess. He that sure it, is. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and it's definitely like, I do like him a lot in the spy who loved me. Like, uh, you know, I, I think most of like we talked about this last week too. I think most of my recollection was probably more hit, the way he was treated in this movie, but even yeah. though it is kind of silly, there are still moments where you're just like, oh, that's cool, though. I like I like Richard Kill. Now I want mm-hmm. Jaws and J.W. Pepper to be in a scene together, though. I'm really right? sad that never happened. Well, there is one thing that they start recurring quite a bit uh, from uh, Spy Who Loved Me, and I think it goes on for another three or four movies after this. The dude who's always, like, drinking and sees yeah. something going on, and he yeah. like, looks at his bottle like, oh, it's just, he's just a, he's just a, I think yeah. he's like a first assistant director of some sort that went into the movie. So we see that in The Spy Who Loved Me during the, uh, I think it's when the, the boat goes on to the beach um in that and that's where that's where the guy's looking at his bottle and this one i think it's the gondola it's not the gondola it's wait a minute not the gondola scene it's not that right what's the what are the little things on the wires 
It is uh, a cable gondola. cars. It is a gondola lift. Oh, is okay. I think so, the cars are called cable cars. That's what it kept being called when I was reading stuff. But yes, so those are gondolas that I was. I got that yeah. right. But then, is there a boat called gondolas? What are the boat? Or what are the boats that they're? Yeah, there's gondola boats too. Yeah, light flat bottom boat. Well, fuck me. They're both called gondolas. <laughs> Learning something every day. Anyway, um, when I am talking about the gondolas, I'm talking about the cable cars that are on the. That's what there are. There is another gondola boat scene in these things too. So, so uh, yeah. Feel free to use that and interject at any point uh, because. Uh, so today I learned gondola can be used for cable cars and boats. And you already mentioned the reason that they made him more uh, friendly at the end. He gets a he gets a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Played by Blanche uh, Ravalek, another French actress in this movie. Yep. Um, and there was a whole thing about that too. Like apparently they were gonna get like a, not a bigger girl. I don't think weight wise, like a taller girl. But then Richard Kill was like, well. I'm married to a woman that is, you know, the same height as this actress. So then they were like, well, I mm. guess it's okay then. I mean, it's just the thought process of like how they decided that. And I'm sure it's still this way. in a lot of, I mean, acting is just, I don't know how people do that job. I mean, mm-hmm. that takes like a lot of not only commitment, but just, you got to be able to take a lot of bullshit. Cause I just think it's weird though, that like Richard kill had to be like, my wife is shorter, so it's okay. And then that's when they're like, well, we'll hire her then. I don't know. It's just weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, like the yeah. idea that like tall men dated shorter women was a, was a foreign concept to these people. I just don't understand. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, well, you, he's like, you're only able to date uh, female <laughs> basketball players, yeah, Richard Keel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do find, I do find that taller women tend to only date, ta- they, not only, but most of the time, women typically are shorter than the dude. So taller women will tend to date like taller men, but taller men, mm-hmm. I don't, I've never seen the preference really. My, both of my sisters are like, you know, five, two or whatever. And both of their husbands mm-hmm. are like six, five. So mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. Doesn't seem that weird to me, but apparently it seemed weird to the broccoli uh, and, and the producers. I'll mention a couple other Drax has a henchman uh, before Jaws. He ends up hiring Jaws basically because his first henchman gets killed. Uh, by Bond, and uh, uh, his name is Chang. He is played by Toshiro Suga. Suga? Suga? I don't know. This was a name they actually pronounced, but I think you got it right for the most part. Um, I would say Suga, uh, but I'm not sure if that's right. It might be It, su- might, be sh- it might be Suga, Suga or Suga, but I can't remember the last name. Uh, it's spelled S-U-G-A, but uh, he got hired, actually. He was recommended... Uh, Michael G. Wilson, who who does those cameos, mm-hmm. uh, he was Michael G. Wilson was uh, uh, this guy's one of his students because uh, this actor he's a Japanese Aikido instructor and uh, yeah. There's apparently I don't know the details about it. There's a system that Japanese uses and it's called the Dan system, and uh, he is ranked seventh on this system in Aikido. Uh, mm. So he's 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 a very well known. Uh, a guy in the world of in the martial arts and Aikido. Uh, he does pop up in a few more movies, but they were movies I'd never heard of. So this is the only one mm-hmm. that you know people probably know. They were they had like foreign titles, and I'd never heard of them. And they didn't even have like Wikipedia pages or anything. So oh, and then I will mention we already mentioned Lee. He's back. Bernard Lee's back for his final time as Elm. Uh, we also have uh, Desmond Llewellyn's back, of course, as Q. Uh, Lois Mac- Maxwell. She's still going to be around for a minute. I think she's through a 
few, at least a few to a kill. I can't remember if she goes past that, but I think she does four or five more than Lee did. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, Jeffrey Keen's back, as we already mentioned, as Frederick Gray, the British Minister of Defense. I also thought it was interesting that Louis Maxwell's daughter, uh, Melinda Maxwell, uh, she was 22 at the time. Uh, she is one of the quote unquote perfect human specimens of of Drax, mm-hmm. the the new world order <laughs> okay. that that Drax so like elegantly tells us all about, as if he's like teaching a yes. computer class or something. Um, right, I, I love him so much. Uh, some other things I had. Uh, s- someone asked Cubby uh, Broccoli why he wasn't just adapting the novel since it was really good, and Cubby supposedly said yes, but it's old fashioned. It's only got a piddling little mm-hmm. atom bomb in it. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the, the, that was that was the talk about uh, in the behind the scenes as they were saying we we just got done doing the spy who loved me and this guy who wants to destroy the world and have underground city. We can't just do a single atomic bomb no, uh, storyline. And, and you've got, I mean, and Ian Fleming even said in interviews at the time, like they're gonna have to update things. Like he's like, I get it. Mm-hmm. Like we're gonna have to update things because it's like these are novels that were written in the fifties, and then we're almost to yeah. nineteen eighty at this point. So it's just things are. Very, so I get it. I just thought that was funny. Um, so as far as the writing, Richard Baybaum was not asked to come on this one. Uh, and I actually found a <laughs> quote where he said, thank God I didn't write it. Um, so he, <laughs> he was very excited uh, to not be involved in this, uh, which I thought was funny. The writers had a hard time, though. Tom Mankiewicz was, um, I think this is why they were still doing Spy Who Loved Me. He was just asked to... Uh, help them come up with a way they can make this like more of a more of a science fiction kind of thing. So he does like an mm-hmm. outline. Um, they don't use they use barely any of it, which he was fine with. He didn't mm. really care. He he said it, he didn't want to write the script. It was just he didn't know what to do. And but there are things in that outline that we're going to see in later movies. Uh, the Acrostar jet sequence and Octopussy was from that outline, and the Eiffel Tower scene in A View to a Kill was also something they took. Uh, from that outline so Christopher Wood actually comes on and uh, he writes the main he writes the script I read an interview where he said he never liked the idea of the movie but he didn't really have the guts to say that to Broccoli he of course just took the job Uh, he said it was really hard to write the space scenes because he said everything had to be slowed down he's like he said you can't rush people in spacesuits so it was just Mm -hmm. he said it was really difficult uh, writing those there was uh there was a talk in the behind the scenes about how if you had an idea, it didn't matter if you were mm-hmm. uh, the writer, producer, or just somebody going to get coffee. Uh, you you said had an idea for the movie, it would always get considered. So like there was all sorts of people pitching their ideas into this into this one, probably a lot of the other ones as well. Um, so like who knows how that original script went. And then how what they ended up filming based on people's whims. I do believe I I think the the uh, the jump out of the airplane is something that was just completely somebody else's idea. It wasn't even in the script from from what I understand. Well, yeah, they they just they they I think they had the general idea, but then they kind of changed it up as they tried to figure out how they were going to film it. Um, mm-hmm. I think there was an idea that they were going to do something with a plane, but yeah, you're, they were coming up with a lot of that on the spot because they were really limited in the way, um, um, they could, they could film that scene, which we, we can definitely talk about. Um, I, I think it's interesting though, because I know like John Peter, John Peters, right? That's the, is that the producer's name? I, that doesn't sound right. The, the guy who no, did Rain Man. Right. And, what's that guy's name? Oh, it is. Or Peter Goober? No, or is the, it John Bradley Peters? Bradley Cooper plays him in, uh, 
licorice pizza. It, it'd be John Peters. John Peters, then. okay. So, like, I'm just saying, like, like crazy producers. Like, John Peters kind of gets put in that. Robert Evans is kind of one of those. But I, I don't know. I think Broccoli is kind of a little bit like that, where he would just get... Uh, he would just get ideas, and he's just like, "We gotta, we gotta have a spider in this, you know. <laughs> we gotta, yeah, you yeah, know." Yeah. And and it's interesting finding that out because I hadn't heard a lot about him uh, before, other than I know like he's very controlling of the property, like that. You know, they've always been hands on, and they're not letting anybody else make any decisions. But uh, it's been interesting. Um, there were some uncredited rewrites. Uh, Dick Clement, uh, who's also a co-writer on Never Say Never Again, and somebody named Ian Lafrenet, they came in. But Christopher Wood is the one that's most noted with it. Uh, he wrote he and he apparently wrote a lot of the best lines, which are typically given by um, by Drax. Uh, there's that one I have it down here. It's the um, Look out for Mr. Bond to make sure some harm comes to him. I love that line. Yeah, I do love that line. <laughs> and yes. There's one. It was James Bond. You appear with the tedious inevitability of an unloved season. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but just the way he says that, make sure some harm comes to him. Once again, it's so flippant that it's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's it's It works very well. James Mason would have been a lot more theatrical, probably. Make sure some yeah. harm comes to him. Yeah, I wish I had a James Mason accent. <laughs> oh. I mean, I wish I had a James <laughs> Mason impression. If I could have an impression, I'd want it to be him. There's a great, if you ever, this is just random, but uh, Bill Hader, apparently. Have you ever seen that? He talks about when he auditioned for Saturday Night Live. And his audition was James Mason trying to use an expired uh, coupon at Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> you can find it on YouTube. I think he's like on, um, he's on one of the late night shows talking about it. It might be Colbert's late night show, but mm-hmm. it's just it's just really funny. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I just, I love those. There's a lot of cool lines like that in the movie. Um, this ended up being an April Fool's Day prank, but I did see in 2004, uh, these rumors surfaced that there was a lost 1956 version directed by Orson Welles. Uh, mm. it was like a whole elaborate thing too, that, but it was, it was bullshit. It was just a joke, which I hate those things anyways, but I thought this was interesting enough to mention, uh. Supposedly, Dirk Bogart had played Bond, Orson Welles would play Drax, and Peter Lorre was the henchman. But it was not true. So, uh, uh. <laughs> uh, so the stunts in this movie are pretty nutty. Uh, so the cable car sequence, uh, I read uh, Richard Graydon was a stuntman. Uh, like, like if I didn't see, like I didn't, I didn't read an interview with him, but from everything I understood, what other people said was like, it's amazing he didn't die. Like he like he yeah. caught himself like at the last second. Uh yep. just because of how like how tightly confined all that was. Yeah. This is on the cable cars, right? Because he's yes. he's yeah. he's hanging on and apparently uh Lewis Gilbert forgets to say cut for yeah. a really long time too during that scene. And the guy's like sitting there holding on yeah. for a shot and then there's a thousand foot drop below him and everything. I don't know how these people do this, man. I, I, I don't either. And I mean I mean now it's a lot it's a lot more, you know, now they would just do that in a in a in a room, right? I mean you would not even mm-hmm. you know, but it's just it's yep. it's, it's crazy. And that's the thing. I mean, I think that's one thing, you know, maybe we get more exciting action sequences with the technology and stuff today, but, or at least we get better done. Like they're, they're more, but like stuff like this, even like you said, it kind of slows the movie down. It's probably not needed, but it's just so interesting to watch because that's really somebody fucking doing that. You know, it's not, Mm -hmm. this is not staged. I mean, it's staged, but it's not like on a sound set. This is, they're 
thousand feet up in the air or whatever. I will say, I read though that the uh, there's a scene, it's just kind of dumb, where Jaws bites into a, a cable. And that was mm-hmm. apparently was uh, black licorice. Is what that was. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, that is the largest yep. piece of fucking licorice I've ever seen in my life. It really is. So the parachuting sequence uh, was really interesting to read about. Uh, and this is a really cool thing where Bond is on a plane and... This is this is a pre-title sequence, right? Yeah. So Bond is on the plane, mm-hmm. and then he ends up finding out he's on a plane with people that want to kill him, as as happens. He's I think he's had just he's fooling around with this girl. They just had I don't think they had sex. I think they're just fooling. Maybe they did. Uh, it's 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 one of those where they they're like, uh, where's Bond? <laughs> and he's and and Lois Maxwell's like he's on the last leg or whatever. And and then the next scene you see him like putting his hand yeah. on this woman's yeah. leg. Uh, so I so. have no idea if they've actually had sex, but they're in a. But then he finds out she wants to kill him, and the pilot wants to kill him. Oh, and Jaws is on the plane, and uh, mm-hmm. and then so they jump. Uh, they 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 jump out. He has to jump out after them because they have the parachute. Uh, so it's this really well done sequence. And then so they had to develop. They had this lens that was like uh, it was really it was really light. And so, but they mm-hmm. had to get a camera that was also as light. And it still ended up being like seven pounds. And they put that on a skydiving helmet. And then they had like five skydivers, I think, that would jump out and would have like seconds to like film like whatever bit they were filming and they also even had to do this thing where because since they had that seven pound camera when their parachute would deploy it would just jerk them up because of the extra weight Mm -hmm. so they they what i read with they tighter they somehow they put a rope around the parachute so it would open even more slow this is fucking nuts too because how does Mm -hmm. nobody die um, mm-hmm. <laughs> doing this. So the parachute opens slower and uh, they're so far, like they, I don't remember what the distance was that they had to be to get the shot, but they, but like I said, they just had like seconds to, to do it and they had to keep doing it. They just had to keep jumping out of the plane and they would get a few seconds and then they would jump out of the plane again. Uh, yep. I, I don't know. I, I don't know how everybody lived through that. Yeah, the the idea is that they couldn't put on uh, uh, even the smallest of cameras usually because the lens yeah. and everything was too heavy. And so, like, when they open the parachute, there's too much G-force mm-hmm. uh, being, ex- being uh, exerted on everybody. And uh, I think it was Michael G. Wilson who was going around some shops in France and found this camera inside of a camera store and he said it's like a lens the same thing as a it's a panavision lens but they were all glass this one was plastic yeah. and uh and he said he's he asked the guys like what is this doing in here panavision you i think it's panavision usually just rents out equipment and he's like yeah this is a prototype that nobody <laughs> nobody so could crazy. find a use for <laughs> some shit like that and so my, my g wilson buys this <laughs> lens for this one stunt and like that's and they and this stunt is amazing oh, it is. It is. it's one of the craziest ones they've done um uh you know just to have this kind of footage jumping out of a plane and everything and of course you know all these people it's fun seeing these people double as all the like double as bond Mm. and double as jaws and everybody like you know they do it in a convincing fashion you know Mm -hmm. and like so uh no that was just the fun thing about the the thing they found this lens in a shop in paris and then they had the camera Mm -hmm. to put it in or whatever but then um but and it's just so amazing because the whole scene is I mean Bond jumps out, he's got to catch up with the guy, he's got to get the parachute off of him, 
And I mean, all this, mm-hmm. I mean, and there were some tricks like the stunt man who was doing bond. He actually did have like a parachute behind him, but it was like, I guess it was so like, I don't know how they, I can't remember what they did. It was flat. I think it was so flat. You mm-hmm. couldn't see it. Uh, so it's not like he, he jumped, he, nobody jumped out without a parachute, but yeah. they did have to do things with the parachute that he's taken off the person because like that had like Velcro on it or yeah, something. They had to, they had to do something to hide the parachute, which was really hard yeah, to do. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, they couldn't make it where it was too, too bulky yeah. or bulgy or whatever. So yeah, it's some weird just stuff, the stuff like that. that went down just to get this like one shot, but it's, like once again it's just but it's stuff that's actually being done i mean like you're actually watching these things happen as they happen i mean obviously there's cutting and stuff Mm -hmm. but there are people actually in the air doing this shit it's it's just and i believe the whole sequence is shot by john glenn who becomes a major bond director it's it's has he done one yet Uh, he may have done he is the second he may have directed one one. second he's the second unit director on this and i thought he'd already done because he does he does most of the 80s ones but yeah. I do think he... D- it's like he may have like fit in one movie before he started going he... on that run. Hold on a second. I know we've, ta- we've talked about him. No, For Your Eyes Only, I guess, is his first one. I guess he's just been like a second unit guy. and Maybe he was an editor. He, well, he was an editor on Honor Majesty's Secret Service. So maybe that's why we talked about him. Yeah, maybe so. Um... Yeah, but he directs... I think he directs every 80s Bond movie. I think that's right. He does. He directs all five. Yep. I think that's right. Um, but yeah, he's the one who shoots this whole thing. Like the, yeah. uh, the, the whole parachute sequence is yeah, his. They did, so. but like, they did say they had like five skydivers though, I guess that helped, but like apparently they were kind of a pain in the ass because they were just like, they, they weren't used to getting up before like, you know, 10 o'clock. And then they, you know, they said like, they like they didn't show up on set, so I guess maybe Glenn or somebody went to find them, and they were just like sitting in this room, and like, what the fuck are you guys doing? They're like, well, the woman that makes us breakfast, she usually doesn't get up and get to it till about eleven o'clock, and he's like, we gotta go shoot this goddamn movie. Like, what are you doing? Well, that's the the thing, right? They talked about this as well. The shooting schedule in France had to be different yeah. from what they were used to. Uh, they would they would start at eleven and have no breaks and Blake go all the way to seven yeah. o'clock, and and uh, so that was different for them and also the whole Ken Adam thing where they were trying to build these big huge sets for Ken yeah. Adam. Ken Adam like we we do this you know weekdays weekends everything we're and the the French were like no we don't work on Saturday and Sunday <laughs> and 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 Ken Adams like I guess we're gonna have to figure out something else then because this we've never done a bond without doing work on the weekends yeah. and finally he showed them I guess some pictures of what they were gonna do and they were like okay we'll work on the weekends <laughs> and so they actually brought in their families on Sunday so they could yeah, see stuff that. that they were doing so that's pretty funny uh did you have any other stunt stuff you wanted to talk about though that was all i had as far as the the big scene. uh don't think so i don't think so uh, uh the uh, the only other thing that i have is about how they shot the space stuff but i'm sure you're getting to that so um i don't have much well go ahead well the space stuff is uh is the the, the way they shoot it uh you know once it gets towards the end you know, obviously there's a big huge space battle yeah, yeah. and everything um everything that happens in space where you see any kind of motion or whatever they are doing an old i think it's an old technique basically where they shoot something in camera Mm -hmm. and then they back the film through the camera again 
and then and then they shoot another thing they they only expose certain parts of the film basically so like if you have uh so what you have is somebody moving through space and then you block that off and then you shoot you shoot the earth or whatever and then you back the camera back up again and then you shoot some other thing and then you get three full things all in one which you normally obviously you're not going to be able to do because you don't have at this point you don't have computers that can do it you know you don't have the the technology to do this kind yeah. of space stuff so whatever though so the there's a there's a big there's a big shot of like a whole bunch of lasers being shot or at each other like there's the big there's the there's the you know the the docking station where everything's going on and there's all these people who are shooting oh, lasers and stuff at it's each crazy. other it's crazy it's apparently the they had to do that so it was they had to do that 48 times to get that, that a lot correct and uh and the and what the guy said was we had to do this 48 times which means we had to the film went through the camera 96 times because yeah. every time it goes through you have to go back and and every time you do anything with any a film going through camera you uh you uh risk it getting scratched and yeah. all sorts of things so uh apparently they would uh update broccoli on the the progress of this technique and whatever and he's like man He's like, don't tell me the, don't tell me about all this film going back through the camera and everything. Just tell me when it's done. <laughs> Basically, that whole, you know, that uh, I don't want to hear about the labor pains. Uh, you know, yeah. just uh, show me the baby uh, type of thing. Um, uh, he, I, th I think, he, I think a lot of the times these producers sleep better at night when they don't realize oh, what sure. kind of craziness I'm they, sure. they've well, unleashed. And Lois Child said something about. I saw her in an old interview. She said something about they were just like on wires and it, they would just be up yeah. there forever. And she said there was something, mm -hmm. I can't remember what she called it. She said there was something that they had attached to their chest too. That was like kind of, it was kind of bulky and odd and um, just everything about mm -hmm. that whole sequence sounded like she didn't, she didn't really enjoy it, but she thought it, she thought it was cool to see it afterwards, but I'm sure filming yeah. it was a pain in the ass. Uh, and it's like, it's crazy. It's like, um, and I, I mean, well, I believe John Barry does the score for this and um, it's a mm -hmm. really like, I read where he decided to slow his the score down this time, and then, and I I don't I you can tell because that space scene especially it's just it's really like it's I don't know it's just a weird it almost feels like you're watching like a ballet or something but it's like but instead yeah. of dancers it's people in spacesuits like just flying around and like trying to shoot at each other I don't even know like how you could possibly know who you were shooting. <laughs> were doing that yeah i mean the whole scene is yeah. just nuts and i don't know who's who or like i don't know who's the bad guy who's the good no, guy. i don't either I, I i was sitting there like who's the good guys who's the bad guys in this um but uh yeah and apparently some other technique too where they had some a ship going through space and they the like the stars in the background mm -hmm. would have conflicted with the images so they had to make it where the star they did they they had to disappear the star and then re make the star reappear yeah. once the once the uh, ship came across and everything. A lot of, a lot of little cool yeah. things that they did for that, even though the scene itself, you know, is kind of like just weird to look at. Like it said. is, it is. I mean, I, I'm really curious, like what audience members in 1979 thought of that, though. Like, I'm really, I'm very curious. Well, and considering considering kubrick and the what the stuff that they have done on star wars at this point 
uh, maybe they just don't have the mm-hmm. the technology to do this, or the the uh, they don't have the bandwidth to do this. Uh, Kubrick shot some very realistic space scenes. Star Wars did some really cool yeah. things with ships going That's through true. space. Star Trek. But then they go back to this old. They go back to this old like what I believe like uh, a Buster Keaton did way back in the day, where he would yeah. you know it's like there's a there's a I think there's a I think it's Buster Keaton where has him has like multiple buster keatons all on one frame and basically he did that same thing where it was like he had to expose one part of the film and then block the rest and so on and so forth so they do that on this and like it's 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 like you have all this new technology at your fingertips but it could be just a cost thing i mean they're already at 32 million and you can you can see the budget on the screen i mean it looks it looks big and you know, spectacular, but yeah, I think it's just everything about the way that scene is shot, the way it's scored and just the actors mm-hmm. who are doing whatever they can. I mean, I'm sure that's just odd, but like, I don't, it's, and the lasers are like green and I don't, it's just, yeah, <laughs> so funny. I don't, I don't know how to explain it without. Well, it, well, and, and I, you know what I think takes me out of it a little bit is that the lasers don't seem to have any kind of like, there's no conclusion yeah, to I know, them. I know what you're saying. They shoot the laser and it just kind of like, it just kind of like ends wherever it goes. It do- doesn't seem to be like doing any damage or yeah. anything. It just, it's just being absorbed by the people as they shoot. So there's like, you're expecting like someone to blow up or, or yeah. like have a hole in them or anything, but this is just kind of like shooting them and touching them and then, d- and it dies. And yeah. it's, it's like, it's like, it's like the people are doing more damage to these lasers than the lasers are doing to the humans. And what a so. weird, like what a we- I was thinking too that year, cause sci-fi wise, you've got that. And then you've got Star Trek, the motion picture, and then you've got alien, which all three mm-hmm. of those made about the same amount of money. Like they're all like right there in the middle of the top 10. Uh, Moonraker made mm-hmm. less than both of them, but they're all about the same. But uh, I, I don't know. That's just, that had to be a weird, like going to the theater that summer. I don't know when alien came out, but I know Star Trek and uh, Moonraker were in the summer, but uh, I just, I don't know. Just the, the very degrees of science fiction in those three movies is nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Alien came out June twenty second. Oh, okay, so it came out. Oh, they came out like pretty much together then, because I think well, twenty ninth was twenty ninth was as the next week was Moonraker, and uh, Star Trek was December. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. I think I actually knew that. I think it was supposed to be earlier the year, but they were that movie got pushed back a few times because of just they mm-hmm. Robert Wise was basically told do whatever you need to do, so he did. He took forever. Uh, mm-hmm. it's fascinating. Yep. Uh, that that's a really interesting movie. Like I, uh, I don't know if it's good, but it's fascinating to talk about. Um, so speaking of the music, oh, I was going to mention real quick though. Uh, another scene, which I know this had to be models for the most part, but the the scene at the beginning, even uh, where the Moonraker space shuttles on top of the jet or the top of the plane, mm-hmm. and then they they, I mean. I'm sure we would find ways to send the shit out of the scene, but they, the people get into the jet, get into the Moonraker space shuttle and they fly it off the plane and there's that big explosion. stuff. I, I like that. That's really yeah. cool too. Yeah. Although it's really dumb uh, for the plot. Like yes. I, lo- I love the, I, I love agree. the opening. I think it's really dumb for the plot though. And later on when, when Bond asks Drax, why did you take that Moonraker one? He goes, well, this one that I had was, had was malfunctioning yeah, yeah. or whatever. Cause it's like, his. I'm sitting there going, okay, 
okay, so all right, whatever. But you you realize that by doing that, you've now put yourself on the map. Exactly. For, you know, like I don't, I, 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 that's one of those things where it's like, you could have gotten away with this if you didn't do that. Like nobody would have yeah. known you were shooting rockets to this thing because nobody can nobody can even see <laughs> your 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 new Eden that's in, in space or whatever. No. So um, and it's his it's his shuttle. He could have like called him and like, hey, sorry guys, I'm gonna need that one back for a little bit. You'll you'll yeah, get it back in a week or make, two. There's <laughs> like there's absolutely nothing that makes sense about that moon that opening shot opening scene. I, I mean, it looks really cool. Don't get me wrong, but exactly that's what it, I'm talking about. But yeah, it's, it's so it's so dumb. Well, I think. I think that's what this movie. I think that's where this movie has its main problem is that the visuals, the 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 visual delights don't really match up with like the way the story is constructed. So Shirley Bassey ends up singing this title song. It's her third and final time. Uh, there were a bunch of people that were tried to be. They tried to bring on Frank Sinatra, uh, Kate Bush, who I guess I didn't even realize. Which I guess that makes sense. Most of her stuff was in the eighties. This is late seventies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's become popular again because of the. Uh, the the running up the hills used on yeah. Stranger Things, which mm. by the way she has made like millions of dollars off of that, mm-hmm. like just in the last like year, like that's yep. crazy. Oh yeah, good for her. Mm-hmm. But uh, she passed. She just said she didn't want to do it. Johnny Mathis got offered it, and he started recording it, uh, but wasn't able to finish. I could not find why he wasn't able to finish. They do they talk about that in the behind the scenes. This okay. is one thing that uh, the behind the scenes have started. They've they've stopped completely yeah. talking about the songs for some reason. Even gotcha. Even something like Live and Let Die, which was like one of their biggest ones, they yeah. s- don't even say much about that at all, which is weird. Uh, so I guess they just re- they just they, I don't know why they just stopped that. But yeah, the Shirley Bassey song here. Um, is it's it's good because it's her singing, but it's not very memorable. Um, oh no, this a, song is bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean she sings. I know what you're she, saying. I know what you're she saying. She can still you you can tell that there's a great singer behind this, but this song isn't yes. memorable at all. That song was not written for her, and I mm-hmm. and she literally gets called in. I think like a few days before they have to record it. So. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't feel like it's her song. And she even says that this is not a song that she would perform like mm-hmm. outside of this because she never felt it was her song. It wasn't written for her. She didn't mind doing it, but she, you know, but it's, it's definitely very different than Goldfinger. And, uh, is it diamonds or forever? Is that the, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's what live and let die though. I still, that my, that's when one of my favorite discoveries is that Paul McCartney got hired to write it. They didn't realize he was also going to perform it, which we yeah. talked about this on the live and let yeah. die. And they're like trying to hire a singer and McCartney just sends this song. Yeah. It's like, Oh, I guess, I guess he was going to do it. I didn't know mm-hmm. that. Uh, it's just some of this stuff. It's like, how did you not talk about this on the front end? But, um, but yeah, so she ends up doing it, uh, and like I said, she's never really said much about it. She never really cared for it. It was just kind of something she chose to help out with. Uh, mm-hmm. We talked about John Barry. Uh, there was a lot. There was some stuff mentioned about how he slowed the score down, and, the, and and I also bring that up because his later scores, like Dances with Wolves and stuff like that, like he does, uh, it's very reminiscent of kind of what he becomes after he's done doing Bond movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people and critics complained about all the product placement, but according oh. to Broccoli, 
that was just like the, in where they were there was just fucking product placement everywhere like that seven up thing that was just where they were like shooting and like the uh, was it uh where were they they were in brit oh british airline yeah, the british airline the, signs they said they were everywhere uh yeah it's all the billboard signs that happen in yeah. that one section uh seven up happens like twice with like in yeah. rapid succession because they're they end up at that restaurant where everything has seven up on it for some reason yeah. and then like then they go and then there's a big huge seven up billboard outside but yeah it seems yeah. like it's i mean it may they they very well may have just happened to be in a spot with billboards but god it looks like they're just saying well and also product placement is really just becoming a thing like in the 70s because mm-hmm. i think close encounters of the third kind actually is considered like one of the first movies to actually make like a product placement deal Mm -hmm. because broccoli talked about how like you know when they were first filming bond like they had a rolex watch but like they didn't have a deal with rolex like that had nothing to do they that's just the watch they chose to use and i guess they got permission yeah. But it wasn't like what it's going to become in the 80s where you've got like E.T. signs this deal with Reese's Pieces. And, yeah. you know, I, I'm pretty sure it's Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I didn't write that down. I'm kind of talking out of my ass right now. I could no, be, no, but Close I know Encounters of the Third Kind has that. a huge like Budweiser commercial that happens yeah, in it. That's where what it's, it is. Like it's basically just playing the ad and then it goes and, over. It's like Days of Our Lives plays and then it's Budweiser. Yeah. And it, yeah, exactly. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I, I think that was because Spielberg was like trying to get more money. Um, mm-hmm. and studio didn't really want to do it. And so they were like, well, what if we like go to this company, which is super and, smart. Yeah. 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 It's very smart. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but, uh, but I, so I do, I do believe broccoli because I don't think that was probably something they would have set up. Cause like that was just not something that was going on at the time, but it is really odd, uh, especially when you consider how products are used now. I mean, it almost, that seven up thing is so big. It kind of mm-hmm. feels like that Wayne's world scene where he opens up the pizza hut box, you know, in front of the camera. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> stuff like that. So yeah. That I, I, so I think that's probably why I, I feel like that was on critics' minds at the time because they were probably like, oh, product placement. This is the end of cinema, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, now we're just doing cinema for, you know, th- this is well before like stadiums are being called like Pepsi Stadium. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, my God. Gene Siskel would have had a cow. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and he, had, he did have a cow. That was like his whole thing. Like his review was basically like there's too much product placement. This is stupid. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. That was, that was kind of what he had to say. Uh, reception was very mixed. Uh, it has like a 59% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's, that's pretty fair. Uh, uh, mostly. And, and what was praised was the visual effects and the stunts, which is mm-hmm. kind of what we've been talking about. Yeah. They got uh, nominated for special effects, nominated for an Oscar for special effects. It did. So. It did. did visual effects. Yeah. did not win, uh, but it did get nominated. Uh, it finished ninth at the U S box office, uh, in 79, made a little bit less than the jerk. And it made mm. a little more than the Muppet movie. Uh, mm. Kramer versus Kramer was number one that year. That's so weird. Lot. So weird. <laughs> I know that. You see, I mean, and that's wasn't even that's close. A, that's the Oscar push back in the day. Like used to, yeah. uh, you know, like you get a Best Picture win. It was like huge for your movie. So it could have been the Oscar push that caused that. But, it could have been. Yeah. But that, but today that would never happen. That would uh, no. you would never get a push like that. No, I mean. Uh, like Blindside was probably the last one that like did super like it, it it wasn't number one but it was in the top ten, um but that could have been also that didn't win just, best picture though did it? Oh no, you're talking about films specifically that yeah. win best picture. No, yeah, you're absolutely correct. That never happens anymore. Yeah. No, no, Blindside was just nominated. No, it didn't win. Um, yeah, 
and that that was probably more of a that that one makes more sense as a as a that makes more sense in Kramer versus Kramer like being top of the box office. I guess Rain Man like, really yeah, was 1988. The last one, right? Rain Man is far and away yeah. the number one hit in 1988, well, which is so Titanic. Weird. But Titanic's a different type of movie. Yeah, Titanic was completely I mean, different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or like you know, Return of the King, which I don't think Return of the King was even number one. I can't remember though. It might have been, uh, but there was there was probably a Harry Potter and a Star Wars. I mean, there was probably yeah, other I stuff think, that would have been. I think Return right of the there. King was number one that year. I think it was. But yeah, but the, a movie like a drama like Rain Man, uh, that mm-hmm. was definitely the last time that happened. Um, other movies I already mentioned though, uh, Alien and uh, Apocalypse Now was in the top ten that year. Uh, Amityville Horror was number two. I, I forgot hmm. that that was that big of a hit. Uh, of course, I, I mean, I didn't know at the time I was three years old, but I'm just saying, even as an adult, like, I don't, I just, I don't like that movie very much. So I guess I yeah. just never really thought about it. Uh, and then oh. you just mentioned it was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. Wow. In 2003, Return of the King was fourth. It was behind Finding Nemo, and it was behind Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, and Matrix Reloaded. Oh. And Bruce Almighty was only Matrix seven million. Reloaded? So Matrix Reloaded. So number one was Finding Nemo. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew that was huge, but yeah. Although, I would have guessed that it let's see if let's see if in your release, see that's the difference. See, this is what box, okay, Box Office Mojo sucks this these days because it goes to calendar grosses, not in year grosses. Oh, that's right. That's right. So, in Lord of the Rings: Return of the King <laughs> was number one, and Finding Nemo was okay. second. Um, oh, okay. So. So yeah, that that is correct. I was like sitting there going, "That's weird," and then I realized, "Oh yeah, Box Office Mojo <laughs> sucks now." <laughs> yeah, you do have to select that. You have to go in there and select in year yeah. grosses or whatever. Go fuck yourself. You know what I was trying to do when I clicked two thousand three? It wasn't well, because of calendar Wikipedia, grosses. Wikipedia passed like a certain date. It only gives top ten worldwide for some reason. Like yeah. it doesn't do domestic, and I I don't like that either. I'm like I'm not yeah. I'm not looking for worldwide. I don't care. <laughs> right. I need the domestic. Yeah, anyway, Return the, of the it, King, by far and away, number one movie of 2003. <laughs> <sighs> uh, so, yeah. Uh, that's all I had on the behind-the-scenes kind of stuff. Did you have anything else you wanted to mention? I don't believe so. I think we went over all the, the major things there. Yeah, I think we did. Um, all right. So, next, although we've kind of already started talking about this, but uh, we're going to get into more of our, like, what our feelings are on this movie in a segment we like to call Review to a Kill. I've got you in my sights. Get the fuck out of my sight before I demolish you. What we've got here is failure to communicate. There's no need to shout. I'm not shouting! Why don't you stop your whining and get on with it? I've heard this shit before! We are going to give your thoughts, or your thoughts. We're going to give your thoughts, people. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. I'm glad you sent them all to me. Yes. From the the future. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to give our thoughts on the film we are discussing this week, and we are discussing The Spy Who Loved Me Too. I'm sorry, we're discussing Moonraker. Not the spy who loved me too, even though that's mm-hmm. kind of what this movie is. Kind of uh, is, yeah. So here's the thing: is I will say something really quick. This is not really factoring in my opinion on this, but I'm watching this because, and this has happened with a few of these where everything you read is like, "This is a Star Wars. This was Star Wars. Star Wars James Bond film." And they don't go to space until there's like 20 minutes left in the yeah. movie. Like there might be more space stuff in Diamonds Are Forever. Could be. Uh, now there's not like there's not like a battle like in this mm-hmm. but but this movie is really like not even science fiction <laughs> like 
for the most part, I don't know, but uh, I don't know. I I just thought that was interesting because I because I felt like the same when I'm like you know live and let die is the black exploitation bond, and then you're watching it and you're like I mean kind of, mm-hmm. but yeah. So I I don't know. I and I I can see they're attempting. I guess they're basically saying like if we could make the Star Wars of James Bond movies what would it look like? And it clearly, they were obviously putting this together kind of as they were doing it at some times. And yeah, what we're seeing, what we're seeing with both live and let die. And this is there's a surface level connection to the, to the movies that were popular at the time. They aren't, they aren't those movies, but there is a surface level connection. So that like when you walk by like, Oh yeah, it's a, I like, I like star Wars. Here's Moonraker. But even though you'll be, you'll be watching mostly stuff that's on earth uh, throughout Moonraker. So, so yeah, it's, 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 I I think it's, that's sort of what they're going for there. They don't go full on into these, but it's, it's, it's sorry. Go ahead. They just don't go, they don't go full on into these genres. They're just putting that in as a kind of a, a flavor, I guess. Yeah. It's always a bond film first and foremost and then they mm-hmm. just kind of tack on stuff it seems like and uh but this movie is like so much the spy who loved me and i didn't come up with that like i read that other people talking about it but it's yeah. just the villain scheme is very it much in that is. same vein he's teaming up with another agent um yeah yeah it is you I can't mean, get you can't get around it it's it's the spy who loved me too basically is what you yeah. you know you you, faux or you pod, only live but, twice three if you want to go that yeah, route I guess. exactly you only live <laughs> twice three and lewis gilbert did all three of these movies <laughs> did, um i'm halfway expecting you know i'm i was halfway expecting that uh instead of the shuttle being ported by an by a, a jet and that it, a big huge jet was going to swallow up the rocket because that's what they've done in those two movies is exactly. have a big vessel swallow up the smaller <laughs> exactly. vessel um, um so but yeah the the whole thing is the exact same it's exact same thing we're going to destroy the earth and then we're going to have our own utopia the last one yeah. was underwater this one is in space yeah, so. or, or or are they are they going to live in space or are they going to come back down once everything's They're going to come okay? back down later, but I think they have to wait until all the poison destroys. That's true. This, it would be a minute. We haven't really gotten into the, like the 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 plotting of all that, but but it's it's basically the the simple thing is that Hugo Drax is going to shoot a bunch of perfect specimens, quote unquote, into into onto the space station that nobody can detect for some reason. And uh, and then he's going to shoot these this gas down into the earth. Each one, which is like fifty of these capsules, mm-hmm. can can uh, can kill a hundred million people. Yeah. So so fifty of them all dispersed around the earth is sure to kill a whole bunch of people. Except probably you know there'd probably be millions of people still left over probably. after all of this. So I don't know what they plan to do with those people when they get down, but. Um, but uh, yeah, they're uh, they're going to have these these perfect specimens. It, it reminded me a little bit of Doctor Strangelove, the line mm-hmm. in Doctor Strangelove where they're trying to get uh, ten females for every male to go down into these mine shafts, yeah. so that when the nuclear war happens, <laughs> there'll be enough there'll be enough genetic uh, uh, diversity to be able to to repopulate the earth. And yeah. then it's like Peter Sellers is like, and then of course there have to be uh, the inte- they have to be the most attractive qualities or whatever of these women. <laughs> these women have to be very attractive, basically, is what he's saying. Um, but, Which fits uh, into that, Bond. 
as well. So it does, it does. So um, anyway, yeah, it, it's that's the basic. Down, you know, Bond has to go and you know he has to search all these different places, all these different companies that Drax owns around yeah. the world, and then eventually ends up in space. But uh, but yeah, anyway uh i don't know what we're going after that so well it's just it's you're talking about the what what drax is i it's that master race thing i mean that's just that was a pretty common even like movies made like i think like forbidden planet if i remember mm. correctly is mm. like a it's that's that's what that guy wants it's like all these it's like it's hitler right it's that type yeah. of idea although it's not I wouldn't say that's the same. I mean, these are more. Yeah, it's not totally the same. I think no. in this case, instead of it, instead of it being based on skin color, because we do see black people in this in this space station. There's, there's a yes, uh, that's true. Uh, but uh, it's more about physical attributes, Correct. which eventually ends up uh, a cost because Drax says something about all the perfect specimens, and then when. Bond tells him, oh, so you're just going to dispose of everybody who's not the perfect specimen, which Jaws realize he's not one of those guys, and he realizes that his future wife is probably not one of those people or whatever, and that's what turns him against Drax uh, by the end of is it. Is it, is it, in the, that's what you got from that, right? Yeah, like after, I guess it just, it, but it, it felt, but once again, like the only reason they did what they did with Jaws was because of, I mean, that it's like the earliest example of like, um, audience expectations being met. <laughs> you know, it's mm-hmm. got it's almost like, it's kind of like the Zack Snyder director's cut on a much smaller level, yeah. but it's like, so I think I, it feels very tacked on like, oh, we've got to make Jaws help them because kids love him and we want so, the yeah, kids so Bond, to come watch so it may not even be It may not even be the fact that that Jaws realizes his days are yeah. numbered. He just may like have a moral objection. I think, yeah, I, it's just like he's kind of like, I don't know that I want to do this anymore. And, you know, and then he and he like he he's found love. And so he's you know, I, I, I wonder how that works, though, because I don't know how he like kisses her or anything. But uh, mm-hmm. whatever. That's a whole other thing. I like that they're thinking about kids though and then the scene after all this is james bond having sex and zero gravity yep um mm-hmm. yeah i'm sure the kids like that too i'm sure they did yeah uh, absolutely but i also thought when you were talking about it's more about physical attributes i was thinking back to that whole reason why julie christie wasn't hired on dr no it's because she wasn't busty enough. yeah yeah so I'm like julie christie probably would have not been saved in this situation because like oh, i'm sorry your breasts aren't big enough we're gonna keep yeah. you down on earth right <laughs> But that is kind of what it is. But um, I, I think, so my thing on this movie is, I think this movie, I think visually there's a lot to like. I think that the stunts are really fun. I think that it just looks good. Uh, I like the stuff. I think Roger Moore is very, he feels very comfortable. Like he's kind of figured out what he wants to do, like starting with The Spy Who Loved Me. So I think he's pretty mm-hmm. good in this. Um, I, I love Drax. All of a sudden I forgot his name. What, Michael Lonsdale? Yes, Lonsdale. I like Michael Lonsdale. Um, I think he's, re- and like I said, he's just he's so laid back about everything. Like he's just very matter of fact. Like he's not, he's not like like he has this insane goal, but he's not really over the top about it. Like he's just mm-hmm. like yeah. I mean, this is what it's just like. He's just like it's Tuesday. We need to create a master race, and yep. then it'll be Wednesday tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, it, that's like kind of his thought process. And I don't know if that's just the way it was written. If that's the way he chose to play it. And I don't even know if it's necessarily good, but it's enjoyable because it's super different than I any think, of the villains we've seen before this. I think his aim is just to make it seem yeah. like 
that this is that the the psychotic is normal you know yeah like that's yeah. what's scary about it even though it's not really scary but is that he not seems he seems extremely sane about what he's doing even though yeah. everything he says is insane but this movie like is so counteracts that though with how like goofy it is and they mm-hmm. try for comedy so much the story doesn't really completely work. I I I lose interest once they go to space for the most part. Mm. There are some fun visual things while they're up there, like the the, the space suit people shooting at each other. It's yeah. crazy. But mm-hmm. like I just I don't the last like thirty minutes of this movie kind of bore me to tears. Um and that's the thing. I think this movie's just kind of dull. I think it's kind of like you only live twice. I I think there's good things about it, but I just think as a whole, it just doesn't really work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, and it's weird. Like I, maybe I've seen this movie four times, maybe, maybe I've only seen it like three, but like, I always forget everything about it. And I think that's because just, it's not, it's just, there's not a lot to grab onto. Um, I probably appreciated Lonsdale a lot more now that I'm older, but, uh, mm-hmm. than I did back then. But, uh, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think overall? So you you kind of like this, I guess. Yeah, I kind of like this. The I, I'm maybe the opposite. Uh, uh, like I like, I think the stuff before space is kind of boring, and then the stuff with the space is great, mainly because of Ken Adam. But well, um, yeah, that's what that's what draws me into that thing. Once we finally figure out what uh, what Drax is trying to do and everything, everything mm-hmm. else just seems like. Like I wasn't a big fan of the carnival stuff. I wasn't fan yeah. of, uh, you know, the the cable car scene. I'm not a, you know, the, there's a lot of different things in this where it's like, eh, eh. Let's just go ahead and get to the the main plot of this already yeah. and like figure out what we're gonna do. And this is another one like it hasn't been. It's been a while. It's been maybe a couple of uh, bonds, but but we're in. We're also we're back into this. Why don't they just kill Bond thing again? Where it's just like. Yeah. You have so many opportunities yeah. to just kill him. And there's a there's a point where like there's a really odd scene. It just it just left me cold, even though it's kinda fun in a way, is when they're shooting the quail or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like and like they he, he wants Drax tells Bond like, Hey, you can shoot some some quail while you're here and Bond's like, Oh, I'm not a very good shot. And then there's this guy who secretly wants to kill Bond that's in the <laughs> in the in the trees somewhere yeah. and and uh and so bond tracks the quail all the way around and ends up shooting that guy in the yeah. trees and it's like it's a fun scene but at the same time it's like it's like you just killed a dude right in front of this guy and now you're just gonna walk away it's so uh, weird and go into a and go into a car and just drive off i was just sitting there going why doesn't drax just now just go ahead and gun him down or have somebody yeah. else gun him down there's no point at the that, no. like uh, every time this happens it's like well in the early bonds the reason why they didn't kill him they don't always say something like well they have other b- agents ready to come in if he doesn't if he fails his mission yeah. but who cares you know like exactly it, it, you know it, it, the, every single time in this they know oh he's he's against us he's gonna he's gonna trying to ruin our plans and they just they're and they just don't kill him there's a yeah. there's a point like uh, when they're about to go into space where like he tells them the plan of course and then he he wants to put them down into where the the flames are going to go from the rockets he wants to put them down in that pit so that they'll burn to death or whatever and it's like i understand you want to do something 
fun death wise, but it's not like you're going to be there to see it. If it happens, you know, exactly. you're, you're always, you're always trying to make something fun, but you're not there to watch it. Um, so I, so I, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, I'm a little exasperated at this point with this whole, like, <laughs> uh, why don't they just kill him at this point? And so they, at the last couple, I feel like maybe haven't done that where it's like, it seems like it's okay that he's not dead. But mm-hmm. in this one, there's so many times he's got him right in front of him, but. Well, they put him in that machine. I don't even know what that's called. It's the is that for yeah? It's a zero it's gravity a, or it's or a centrifuge. Centrifuge, I think. Some kind um, of simulator, basically. It gets them prepared yeah, for something. It gets space. the G's. It, it yeah, gets their G-force. body prepared for the G's. Which, yeah. uh, you know, apparently Roger Moore had a little wind thing down off screen that made it look like his skin was off in his face, was was oh. moving during all of that. So he would blow <laughs> this, cool. this wind in his face. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you're told right off the bat, like, you know, this can go up to 20 G's. That would kill a man. <laughs> it's just, yeah, you're like, it's, why would it ever go to that? Like, I don't, I don't, and it's like that, it's like that device in uh, Thunderball, the mm-hmm. stretcher thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, why would there be a level? Because well, no one would ever take it to that level. So yeah. why does that level exist? I right. mean, it's, <laughs> but that's the scene I always remember. Like, that's the one scene from this movie I always remember as him being flipped around and, and all mm-hmm. that. And then that woman comes out. I, and I thought I was happy. That, well, that was Lois Childs, right? Because, yeah, cause yeah. She, was, she was undercover as his secretary. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I remember thinking like, oh my God, I hope this isn't another like, well, I won't tell anybody if you have sex with me. But uh, it wasn't, right. thank God. Roger right. Moore just kind of wanders off. Yeah. I also like, I, I don't, Lewis Childs is is by no means, I, and I think it's I think it's the way the character's written. I don't think it's her. Uh, she's just not very, the character's not very interesting. But no, I do like those not. scenes early on where I feel like Bond is really trying to figure out whose side she's on. Mm-hmm. And there's so there's like an early scene with them I thought was interesting. I thought it was dumb they just started kissing, but I thought it was the way he was playing that scene. I thought was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I agree with you. I don't know how much I like the movie before it gets to space. I just for whatever reason once they get to space outside of like the Ken Adams stuff and and the mm-hmm. goofiness, but like after they have that battle and he stopped, he's killed Drax. Uh, which that's that dart thing that we get foreshadowed to. Yeah. At the, we get foreshadowed to it for two instances. He uses he uses it in the simulator thing too. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of like the way he disposes of Drax. So I, think, I always think that scene's kind of fun. But um, the whole thing with Helm and Lois Childs um, trying to stop that thing from entering the atmosphere, like that's not very mm-hmm. interesting. Like it's yeah. just kind of, and I don't even understand like how he finally was able to do it. Like it, it's. I mean, he's just yeah, shooting. Yeah, it just eventually just gets a lucky yeah. shot in. And yeah. That's, uh, and, uh, and, and it's one of those also where they're like, we can't go any further, but then they go further for like yeah. another minute or two, and they yeah. should just totally have burned up in the Earth's atmosphere oh, at this point. definitely. I like, and we don't even talk about how Jaws and his girlfriend like save them. But yeah. then they're they're like on that space station. It's like hurtling towards something, and then Roger, James Bond's like, "They're fine. They're just a hundred miles from Earth." It's well, like they and are then not, they they, they tell them <laughs> they tell them where they are. So I guess they're yeah. gonna have to have a whole shuttle rescue mission for these two people. I yeah, they, it's like at the very end, they're like the tall guy and the sm- the short blonde are still up there. 
and like we can i don't know i guess they yeah i guess they get them. and they definitely do because by in for your eyes only they're these two are getting married so exactly yeah. oh that's mm-hmm. true that's true and then they're in that whole uh there's <laughs> just that whole scene where like the you know the british and the americans and everybody are in that room together and they're like we've mm-hmm. we've we've tied this feed into every important person in the world yeah 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 <laughs> and then of course it's bond having sex and then what is it um what is it what does q say because m's like bond what are you doing and i, yeah. I he's trying re-entry is that yeah, what he's, says? he said something to the effect <laughs> of like i believe he's attempting a re-entry <laughs> <laughs> oh my god um but yeah i it's like i don't know it like i don't think it's not the worst bond film it's not even close to being the worst bond films of people that say that i don't understand uh, I think it's somewhere probably just in the middle. I mean, I don't think I really like it overall, but like mm-hmm. more than anything, it's just kind of, it's kind of like you only live twice for me. It's just very mediocre most of the time, but I do think there's more that I like in it than I like in you only live twice. I, there's definitely mm-hmm. like, I prefer the villain. Like I, as much as I like Donald Pleasance, I mean, I just, the Hugo Drax character, it's not, a, and it's not just, it's not like just another Blofeld. Like you said, Spy Who Loved Me, kind of one of the, and I don't think this is as good as a Spy Who Loved Me, but obviously, but uh, the way the villain was in Spy Who Loved Me, that could have easily just been Blofeld. Whereas I think Hugo mm-hmm. Drax has a little bit, like yeah, I think Hugo Drax would think Blofeld's an idiot, you know, like I don't mm-hmm. think he would give a shit about him, you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting villain that I don't think enough people, uh, talk about. Mm-hmm. Had, um, there's this terrible day for night shot. I don't know if you remember it, but they're outside some building and it's like the sky is clearly like blue <laughs> and there's like mm-hmm. the big clouds and stuff. But, uh, you know, day for night wasn't, uh, wasn't really a thing. I, I actually they, didn't, I don't remember this one. I don't know. It was that just, is. I don't know. That's something for some reason. That's something I notice a lot more now. Um, I don't know why, but that was, uh, I like the dog chase that actually like that. The dogs are running, uh, through the woods. Uh, yeah, yeah, at, yeah. There's like suspense in that. Like, I, I don't know. I just, that was something that just stood out to me. But anyways, yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say about it. I, it, it's, it's not terrible. I don't think it's as nearly as bad as its reputation, but I, but I don't know that I like it very much. I think it's more just, uh, it, it wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. I, I wish I wish Hugo Drax was like in a better movie. That's what I really yeah. wish. Yeah. You put Hugo Drax in Spy Who Love Me. I mean, that's a, I don't know. That's like a mm-hmm. whole different. That's a whole different. Yeah. Thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyways, did you have anything else to talk about on the movie? We talked no. about a lot of it. When we were talking about behind the scenes. So. Yeah. We no, can get to I don't. Our rankings. Okay. So. For the rankings, we are now going to rank this film in five different categories. Our scale will be based on something that Bond holds near and dear to his heart, as long as they are shaken and not stirred. Oh, I have something to say about that, too. And that would be martinis. So for each category, we will rank from one to five martinis, five being the best damn liquid that has ever passed your lips, and one being the well liquor you had to settle for or what you don't care that night. Right before we get into this. So it's not, we did not talk about her, but there is another girl when he's in Rio. Mm-hmm. And yep. uh, he meets, uh, I think he has sex with her too, but, um, he, um, she gives him a drink and she's like, you know, uh, martini shaken, not stirred. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here thinking one thing I've been thinking about as we've been watching this, so many people know so much shit about him. Yep. I can't even figure out how he still has a job sometimes because, or at least a job where he can go undercover 
because they mm-hmm. people and he uses his name half the time. We've just been talking about. I mean, we've been talking about this since the old Sean Connery's. We have. The fact that he goes into any hotel room and there's always people waiting for (laughs) him in his hotel room. It's crazy. Uh, So, so yeah, like the fact that the people, these people. Now, they kind of couch it in the fact that every person he's running into these days are spies. So so she's a spy. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, She's, she's part of the Brazilian, whatever they call the the Brazilian. uh, I I don't remember what they say. Whatever it is. Special forces or whatever. She's part of that. And, and so like, and then in the last movie, you know, she was able to say that she knew what, because she's a spy. Yeah. Like, so it's not like it's just some rando in a criminal organization who knows it. Yeah. But you, we get the sense that even a rando in a criminal organization knows it because he he's just known uh through just by everybody and that and it's it's even more egregious in Diamonds Are Forever because it's just ra- like people just randomly know who he is in, oh, yeah. in that movie. Well, even when he's trying um, to pretend that that other guy is James Bond, and then you know she's mm-hmm. like, "You killed James Bond," you know, like yeah, yeah, like she knows so, who he is. So like it, it, you know, so yeah, I I agree. There shouldn't be there should be nothing in this where he's able to show his face without people instantly just going, all right, let's just go ahead and kill that dude. He's going <laughs> to, he's, he's been successful well, with 11 other missions. We might he, as well just, just go ahead. And he just uses his name most of the time, especially, I I feel like that happens more as the series goes on, but I know like a lot of times he'll just show up and be like, I'm James which Bond. Which is, which has led people to believe that James Bond is, a, exactly. is not a real name and all that, but still it doesn't matter if it's a real name. People associate your name with your face. So they know exactly. who you are. So I don't know. It just, I, it, it, for some reason that bothered me more in this than it has, or maybe it's just built. It keeps making, it keeps being more annoying the more I hear it, but it's just, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like I, that's just so weird that people know that drink and, and he wasn't even drinking dry martinis for like three movies. So it was, I don't know. It was odd. Uh, so well, it was, it was, it was only the first one. Yeah. I think, the first, I think the last, the first couple, Roger Moore. Yeah. It came back in either spy who loved me or man with the golden gun. And I don't remember which. I think it might. I think have it was just the man with the golden gun. Yeah, because I think you're right. Live and let die is the one where he's trying some other drink, and I think yes. they just said, "All right, just be Bond. Your vodka, you know, your your <laughs> martini shaking." Not I still stir. my favorite though is probably still Casino Royale though, where he just goes through that whole ordeal about the drink, and everybody mm-hmm. else at the poker table is like, "I'll have one too. That sounds good." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then Le Sharif yeah. is like, "Can we play cards?" <laughs> it's just, mm-hmm. It's a really lighthearted moment that works really well. But anyways, we'll talk about that later. Uh, so yeah, so our rankings. So one to five martinis. Uh, the story, just overall feeling toward the movie, I'm a two. I don't really have much to add other than what I've already said, but I'm, I'm a two. Mm-hmm. Two, two and a half, somewhere in that range. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I'm i at a three and a half, mainly just because of uh, the Ken Adams sets and yeah. the stunts that are done in this, I think, are really good. I don't like the fight scenes too much. No. Like, like, the stunts are great. The fights are not. Like, the fights start getting boring. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, when he's – it's it's just a bunch of punching and a bunch of, like, you know, whatever. There's not anything creative about those. No. Um, so, yeah, I'm a three and a half. I like this better than the last two Sean Connerys, for sure. Um, yeah, I And it's a, probably on par with Honor Majesty's Secret – well, I mean, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, I probably like a little bit more than this movie. Um. But uh, it, I, I definitely I, I, I would put it below the the well actually I might like this better than Doctor No. I mean I I think that's totally fair. Thank I think you have the 
I think you have the three Conneries are up there, and you have Spy Who Loved Me. Those are the top four at this point. Yeah. And then and then I would probably put Honor Majesty Secret Service at five at this point, and then yeah. Moonraker would be sixth. Gotcha. I actually I, like, I don't know. Live and Let Die has its moments too. So I, I maybe like it's one let, of those. I, I like Live and Let Die a little better than this. I because Live and Let so Die is, is right actually Live and Let Die is actually pretty damn good until like mm-hmm. about 30 yeah. minutes or left in the movie then it just kind of does its thing but. yeah so live and let die probably beats this too so yeah especially in, in out of the 11 it's 11 we've seen so far uh, right? I mean, or is 12, it 12 technically but yeah 11 of the main it's ones, 12 yeah. out of the 12 i've seen this would probably be six or seven yeah that's so. I, I think it's, i'm in the same it's about right dr no is interesting because i think i think it's easy to give that one a bit of a pass because it kind of introduced a lot of stuff but mm-hmm there's so many things in that movie that don't work. And it's definitely one like I have, I like I would probably watch this one again before I would watch Dr. No. Mm-hmm. If I had, yeah. if I was going to rewatch one of them, my guess is, right. but, but I don't know. I mean, they're, they're kind of in the same ballpark. So yeah, no, I think that's fair, but yeah, I definitely think it's better than you only live twice and diamonds are forever. It's better than casino Royale. The, the mm-hmm. one we've talked about, the 67 one. And yeah. um, it's definitely better than man with the golden gun. I mean, that's not even close. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> So, yeah, no, I, I think I'm in the same ballpark. I just probably like it a little less. Uh, the Bond, Roger Moore. Um, I like him in this. I already mentioned this. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm actually going to give him a four. I, I think he's quite good in this. Uh, he yeah. just feels really comfortable in the role. Like, mm-hmm. maybe he's a little better in Spy Who Loved Me, but I think this is a, this, like, I like how he's transitioned into the role at this point. Yeah, so. I feel like he's more comfortable in this yeah. than Connery was around yes, this time. So. I agree. Um, he seems so, to be yeah. having more fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I would give him a four as well. But I don't know if that's just like Roger Moore. Maybe he's more fun guy. I don't. I don't know. Like Roger Moore just mm-hmm. seems like Roger Moore seems like he'd be a really fun guy to hang out with. Never heard anything like. I don't think I've ever heard anything negative about him. I've, I've heard mm-hmm. negative stuff about Connery, but uh, yeah, not not like anything horrible, but just mm-hmm. he, yeah. he he. I don't know. I, there's I have nothing to say about that. I don't know why I started that route. Um. The villain, the henchman, so it's Hugo Drax. I mean, I mean, it's Jaws. Jaws takes this down a little bit for me, just because he's so goofy. And mm-hmm. but I love Hugo Drax. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm shocked. Like I just like Hugo Drax might be my favorite villain at this mm-hmm. point. I mean, Goldfinger's in that conversation, obviously, but like I don't know. Yeah. I, I I just I love the performance so much. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I do too. You're not alone on that. I really do like him uh, in this. It's it's an odd performance yeah. that, you, that you have to kind of delve into and ask yourself: Is this good, like, or, or is, is this, it on purpose? Or is this like, just... I, I almost wonder if it's like accidentally yeah. good. You know, like I can't tell, and I mm-hmm. I didn't read a lot of stuff with him talking about it, so I I, I don't know. I in fact, most of the stuff I read, they didn't really talk much about the character. They just you know, this is our villain, and then they would go on and talk about something else. So mm-hmm. I give him a four though for sure. I mean, yeah, I might I even be too. close to five territory, but I think Jaws not being as, but Richard Kill is so good. It almost works like it, but like you said, there's mm-hmm. a couple scenes that just seem kind of, they're, they're, they're oddly placed. They probably wouldn't even be in the movie. Um, I do like that Jaws is so well known though, that Hugo Drax is on the phone. He's like, Oh, well, if you can get him. Yeah, definitely. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, also don't know how he's still alive. I mean, they do show him fall in that tent or whatever, but I'm still just like, I don't, I, none of that made sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Gadgets. Once again, we are kind of getting more into gadgets. Um, 
but I don't know. So what did it, we had the dart shooting wrist piece. That's the main thing. Uh, and it's pretty yep. well used. Holly Goodhead, uh, she has all that stuff in her room. I love that scene, by the way. That's that scene where he's yeah. trying to figure out if she's good or bad or whatever. And just like everything she has, has like either like uh, like a knife comes out of it or it's like acid or yeah. whatever the perfume was supposed to be. Uh, yeah, it was like a a, a gasoline yeah, type of thing. That's what it was. That was the perfume. She would put a lighter in front of it. Yeah. <laughs> and then I also, the I guess the, the bolo, uh, the, which they don't, I don't know if they actually use that in, I think that might just be in the cue scene. I don't know if that's actually used. It's the thing he's like, it goes around the person's head and like, I think it just cuts it off. Yeah, he doesn't use that, that so cool. I don't believe. But he does use something out of his watch where it's like uh where he uses some sort of explosive yeah. where the watch there's a, a like like a fuse or something. I don't know if it's a fuse or a wire or whatever, and he presses the button, it blows yes. up that grate and they're able to go through the, the vents. There's that. The sh- the, the the boat that he's on the the uh i'm gonna say gondola again and my god sorry folks i swear to god there's two there's two ways to look at a gondola but um that has like that has uh that has a whole bunch of gadgets on it too it has the yes. bombs it has the guided missiles it has uh all sorts of little things on it so yeah we're getting more and more into that the um i know that christopher wood who's you know the screen one of the writers on this one of the pri- the primary writers on this really loved the idea of him going through the you know the the q rooms basically and that was why mm-hmm. we got a return to those and i have a feeling that saltzman mm-hmm. being off of this probably helped that out too and now we're starting to see more and more and more gadgets uh and uh which is it is funny the first several of these where we were trying to rank the gadgets there wasn't any really there was just nothing we thought that there was but there's not uh so anyway those those gadgets are fine those are those are those are standard yeah Uh, yeah i wonder if saltzman if he continued to keep watching these if he was like god damn it all these fucking gadgets like why did they do this Mm-hmm. Yeah, hated the gadgets. Yeah. Uh, the only thing left we have is the song. That is uh, the song's Moonraker. It's uh, Shirley Bassey, John Barry composed. I think it's terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just <laughs> I I really don't like it. It's probably my least favorite. It's only a two. It's only a two for me because Bassey does hit some yeah. notes in this song that are that are that are good. But yeah, this is I not. Mean, Diamonds a very are good forever song. is not, not a good memorable. song, but it's, it's so much better. At least it has like personality to it. That it once again, mm-hmm. I think it makes sense. I mean, Shirley Bassey was not supposed to do this song. This song was not written for her. This song was mm-hmm. actually written for a man. Which, although they did try to get Kate Bush, but if they were trying to get Sinatra and Mathis, I'm assuming that's kind of how they tried to organize it for. Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't know how much that matters. I mean, you hear men's cover songs that women sing and vice versa. But yeah, uh, I think it's very noticeable that it wasn't like she wasn't that into it. Uh, it feels but she's a professional. She's very talented. So obviously some of that still comes through. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't blame her for mm-hmm. not like owning up to that song, not being like. Sure. All right. So that is it for the movie. We are running a little long today but i don't have much to say about the book but uh so all right so we'll get into our next segment which is where we talk about the book and that is called the spy who reads me reading is one of my very favorite things to do whoa i'm not reading that crap summarize it in one word now you want to talk about reading let's talk about reading how can you read this there's no pictures cinema sins might have taught you that the book doesn't matter but for this segment we're willing to concede it at least kind of does we are going to give you the nitty-gritty on what is similar to what you saw on the screen what is different 
There will be plenty of what the hell was Ian Fleming smoking when he wrote this. Uh, so I really, really like this book. Uh, this might be my favorite. Uh, mm. And and that's a pretty, like, and I looked up reviews and stuff for it afterwards. That's actually a pretty common thing that people say is that they love this book. And I think, I'm not going to lie, that also might be uh, this viewing of the movie might have uh, gone down a little bit just because, like, I'm reading this book and I'm just like, why didn't they just do the book, you know, uh Mm-hmm. But the book doesn't have any, uh, it doesn't have any space in it and stuff. So if they wanted to go the sci-fi route, they had to change things up and it had moon in the title. So, uh, mm-hmm. Ian Fleming initially devised this as a screenplay in the early fifties. Um, and he was trying to sell mm-hmm. it, uh, as a screenplay. And he did have a few offers in the early fifties, but nothing could ever get like completely finalized. And then once Eon came in and started buying up all the Bond novels, uh, this just kind of went the wayside. So he ended up he ended up he ended up writing it as a novel. Uh, since the script differed so much from the book, Christopher Wood actually wrote a novelization, uh, but it was called James Bond and Moonraker. So if you ever come across that, that's the novelization. So that actually would be uh, what the movie is about. Uh, so the novel uh, Hugo Drax is the villain. Uh, that's not changed. He's a little different though. I, I'd say he's. Even though he's super dark at Moonraker, the movie has all those like comedic elements to it, which kind of don't work well against that. Whereas in the book, it's just pretty dark. Uh, Hugo Drax mm-hmm. is he's a he's a World War II uh, veteran. Uh, he's really highly regarded uh, in in Britain. Uh, this entire novel, by the way, takes place in UK. So not only does it not go to space, but it's not even like global. Like they don't go anywhere. They're just in the UK. And Hugo Drax is like this really well regarded war hero. And he's like a millionaire, he's a philanthropist, and he is building a weapon system called Moonraker uh, that is supposed to protect the country against nuclear threat. And then uh, the reason Bond gets in, gets on his radar first is because Elm owns a club, which is actually called Blades. Uh, this is actually the club they use in Die Another Day, the one that Madonna's at uh, and where uh, Bond fences. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a club in the novel that Elm owns. And uh, there's a card room and Elm is almost positive that uh, Hugo Drax is cheating. It's kind of like that thing in Goldfinger where that guy gets Bond to watch Goldfinger. Uh, so Elm actually mm-hmm. brings Bond in because Elm is, doesn't want to confront him, confront Hugo Drax directly because he thinks that'll look bad on him because everybody loves Hugo Drax and the country. And so Bond goes in and like is trying to figure out if he's cheating or whatever. And then not too long after that, uh, the chief of security on the Moonraker project is found murdered. And so then Elm then brings Bond in there and says he can, because he had already, he was already being undercover in the casino. So now he's going to go undercover and take over this chief of security job so he can find out if there's something going on. And that's where he meets uh, a Scotland Yard undercover agent. So it's kind of the Lois Childs character, but she's different. She's named uh, Gala Brand, which is a weird name. But um, Mm. so they, she's also undercover as a secretary for, uh, uh, to Hugo Drax. So then Bond and her kind of team up and try to figure out what's going on. What they find out is that Hugo Drax is actually behind all this. They, at first they think it's somebody else in his organization, but they find out it's Hugo Drax. And what you also find out is that Hugo Drax was a German soldier. So he was a Nazi uh, undercover mm. as a British soldier. Then he got, he got injured and put in a, and they thought he was a British soldier. So they put him in the British hospital and he just decided to take on, um, take on that role. Like, cause that way he could, further infiltrate uh, the the Great Britain. And then also he can do his whole like master plan where he's going to create a master race. And 
which in the book mm-hmm. obviously is more based on uh, skin color and, and things of that nature. It's, it's definitely much more of a, a Nazi plot as opposed to the, the mm-hmm. movie, which is more like, we just want the cute people uh, to hang out. Um, so yeah, so that, that's kind of, so there, it, it's similar in ways in that you've got Hugo Drax. He's kind of doing the same thing, but it's just, a, like I said, it's a lot darker. It's a lot uh, more suspenseful. It's just, it's just, it's just more, it's just better. It's just a better told story than what they ended up doing mm-hmm. in the movie. And even if they were going to move it to space, I still feel like they could have kept like kind of the core of the book. Maybe if you don't have Jaws in the movie um, and you don't yeah. try to do as much of the comedic stuff, because Jaws obviously isn't in the novel. Um, and then, uh, and Hugo Drax, like as crazy as he is in the movie, he's so much more in, in the novel. And maybe that wouldn't have worked as well because I do feel like in the novel, he is a little more over the top because he's got like, he's also got like a facial scar. He's got like this crazy hair. So I'm glad they didn't do all that. Mm-hmm. He also has this like really big, like red mustache. They keep talking about that over and over in mm-hmm. the book. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. It's really like if I was going to recommend a novel to read in the series, I think I would definitely put this one first as of now because it's definitely better than, hmm. uh, you know, Goldfinger. No, no, Goldfinger wasn't good. I'm trying to think of what the next. For Brush With Love would probably be next. But uh, but it's, a, it's I don't know. It's a pretty good book. And it's uh, it's not quite as, like, I just thought my understanding was like nothing in the book is in the movie. Like they just took the title. That's not completely true. Which makes more sense why Ian Fleming's name got put back on uh, the movie. So I was confused about that when I read mm-hmm. that last week because I'm like, well, I thought Moonraker wasn't anything like the book. But anyways, yeah, that the even the behind the scenes seems to think that it it's it's ju- they just took Hugo Drax's yeah. name from I mean, the novel. I, I, and do, that's it. I will say like the way, like I said, that whole kind of like the laid back approach though that is very much different so i do wonder if that was something that you know the actor brought to the table i don't know but uh so i am kind of glad they went that route but i do think they could have kept it a little closer to the novel it might have been better but uh the ending's kind of bleak too uh bond uh decides that he's fallen in love with gala brand even though nothing's happened between them and uh he wants to like take Mm -hmm. her out and then he finds out she's engaged to be married so it's kind of got like kind of a Kind of a sad, bittersweet kind of kind of ending to it, but anyway. Yeah. So. yeah, you mean he's in love with this woman after he spent all that time in the cabin with the woman know, in the spy who loved me and all that. That's so that's weird. so weird. Bond, man. Uh, no, but the, I what, I forgot to write that down, but it is uh, it's, it's like I think it's like the fourth novel. Hold on a second, I should have. Yeah, it's not it. We're we're not even oh, talking. Oh no, no, not at all. And I, I know here. you weren't saying we were, but I just I was trying to remember. Mm-hmm. It's the third book, so yeah, it's it's the third book. It follows, yeah, Moonraker's it follows the third? Uh, Live and or, Let Die yeah. and Casino Royale. And then Spy Who Loved Me is when it's like... It's 10th. Yeah. Oh, okay, so. wow. Yep, 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 yep. So uh, yeah, so that that is Moonraker. Uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us this week. Also, before we go, we have social media. Uh, you can reach us on Twitter. Uh, we are at goldspy 7 uh, you can also reach out to me directly on Twitter. I am at Sam Loomis 13. You can email us at golddiamonddeath007 at gmail.com. Uh, and if you like this podcast and other things under the CinemaSins brand, we also have a Patreon you can join at patreon.com slash CinemaSins. And if you have a second to leave us a five-star review at your podcast listening app of choice, we would appreciate it. 
We hope you will join us again next week when we will be talking about For Your Eyes Only, which other than like the pre-title sequence, I don't remember a thing that happens in this. Uh, but that pre-title sequence is don't, bananas. I remember nothing. So I do remember that very well, and we'll talk about that mm-hmm. next week. Well, that's the thing we've we've finally gotten into. We've gotten in cons- consistent title sequences, the the classic Bond title sequences at this point, because there used to be kind of a they didn't know exactly what they were doing. There was like Goldfinger was the closest to the the uh, the origin of what we know as Bond titles, and then it kind of strayed from that a little bit, and then it it really took was it I guess it was I don't know if it was man with a golden gun or if it was the or spy who loved me where we really just started getting these silhouetted women doing acrobatics and you know things of that nature all the all the stuff that we know from bond title sequences that's that's like a normal thing now like that's this is never going away for a long time probably so um uh, from what i understand so we finally got the real title sequence the yeah, stuff that yeah, I, the, the real the, stuff the real so. stuff that we're probably going to make fun mm. of uh, especially next week uh, it's it's mm-hmm. I, I i wouldn't even tell you it's yep. it's it's fucking bananas it's oh god um mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah so we'll be talking about for your eyes only next week uh until then just uh, keep those martinis dry and shaking the baccarat shoe moving and the aston martin fully gas this is chris atkinson and jonathan watkins signing off we'll see you next mission I'm gonna go